Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. conversational, cutting-edge radio show, in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show into our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. And uh, indeed, it is our goal to make a difference each and every week, um, broadcasting live across the nation. And um, today is no different. And um, I'm very excited to say that um, we have a very special guest um, on our roster who I will bring in in in, in just a moment. Um, uh, So... uh, Delilah, good good morning, and uh, how's everything in Myrtle Beach? Good morning, Don. Everything's great in Myrtle Beach. Um, I think both of us are finally decompressed from last weekend. We attended the Q Center for Missing Persons yeah. National Conference and mm-hmm. Candlelight Vigil, and it was quite moving, as always, and um, it takes a while to to kind of come back to reality. So, but I'm I'm really excited as well to welcome our guest. She um I I first became aware of Diane Diamond a long time ago, not a long long time ago because she's not that old, but <laughs> I'm <laughs> over <laughs> yeah, and and especially through when she was writing for Women in Crime Inc. I think it was one of the first um, true crime blogs on the internet, and it was just great. So, I'm I'm very very pleased that we're able to have her here today as a guest. Yeah, we're we're very honored to have her, and I, you know, I won't I won't read through a, a whole uh, a resume because um, I think we want to get to other things. But I'll just say that. You know, in my opinion, her uh, invest. She's one of the investigative journalists whose talents stand stand off communication mediums. Um, in my, she's always in the forefront of what's important, um, what's real in the news. Kind of looking under every right rock so that she helps us uh, navigate life with, um, you know, with with her perspective. And uh, you know, to me, that that is of real value. Whether you are a survivor of crime or not, there's just so much that that she has to lend. So with that, um, Diane, welcome to the Shattered Lives uh, 
family of radio shows, and it's such a pleasure to have you this morning. Well, it's such a pleasure to be with you both, Donna and Delilah. I've I, I am that old, Delilah. <laughs> you have been watching me for years and years. Um, I'm not doing a whole lot of TV these days, although I'm appearing on Investigation Discovery and these three-night event um, programs looking back at, at crimes that I have covered in the past. Casey Anthony, JonBenet Ramsey. We have one coming up on the Michael Peterson case out of the Carolinas. Um, and I can tell you, I don't even think it's on the schedule yet, but pretty soon you'll see a special that I have prepared, um, including a five-hour prison interview with Pamela Smart, if you remember oh. that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's about my TV experience right now. Most of the time I'm just writing, like you say, Donna. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that there, there's always something um, new, new coming on the floor, and, and like I say, it's very exciting for those of us who who like to keep pace with what you're doing. Um, for the, for those people who may not have a full breadth of, of what you have done, um, I think it might might be good to just give a brief overview about your your career with regard to your ability to kind of switch gears over time and in how you've navigated through the the various mediums i'm I'm sure your your perspective is much different now than when you began what What might you want to tell people about how you've kind of um d- done that process well uh, I think first people I think when they hear the name Diane Diamond those people who know of me they think of my work on the Michael Jackson case and mm-hmm. uh, at the time I worked for the old television show Hard Copy and right. of course we're the ones who broke the the story about police looking at Michael Jackson for charges of pedophilia so um gosh that was back this is how old I am Delilah it was back in 1994 I broke the Michael Jackson story back then um Mm -hmm. and I just followed it for years and years uh in 2000 let me think now 2004 2003 I got a call from a source that I had always stayed in touch with on that story and I learned there was going to be another boy coming forward. And this family promised not to take any money from Jackson. They wanted to go to trial. So then I picked the story up again, covered the trial, wrote a book about it called Be Careful Who You Love Inside mm-hmm. the Michael Jackson Case. <laughs> That's a, people ask me how I got that title. It's, a, it's part of the lyric from Billie Jean. Remember, my mama mm-hmm. always told me, be careful who you love. So that's the name of the book. But I think maybe what sets me aside from other investigative reporters or other reporters is that I didn't come from New York, although I live here now. I didn't come from Los Angeles. I didn't come from one of the coasts. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I grew up as an only child with a family that taught me uh, storytelling was really important, integrity, honesty, your handshake was your bond. And I, I learned my ethics in life there in the great American Southwest. And, and that, they're very different than the ethics and morals that are taught today on, you know, the, the mainstream media on the coasts. So I think that's why I, get, I bring a different perspective to, to things in, like in my weekly column, for example. 
yeah, and, and I tend to agree that being from um, southern New England and then having a lot of interaction with, with people in the south, it's, it's very different culturally. And I think when, when we make those changes, it's very fascinating to see the differences and to be able to kind of blend or learn from each other. So I agree with you. I, I think when we make those transitions, it's, it's always very, very fascinating. And, you know, what, what, what strikes can, can you I, Can I just jump in and say one more thing on that? You know, I worked for CBS in New York. I worked for NBC, the Today Show. Uh, I mean, I worked for networks. I worked for syndicated shows. I've, I've, I've done the gamut. I've been in print. I've written three books. And there is a very different mindset with the network and cable um, directors than there is with everybody else in the United States. In the mid part of the country, they have different morals and ethics and things that they find important. They're not as liberal as they are on the coast. And so I think, much to my sadness, the, my chosen field of journalism is really sort of looked down upon today because it doesn't relate to what most of America is thinking. You know, most of Americans are, are you know, work ethic and God and country, and yes, I might have a gun in the back room to protect my family. By the way, I don't own a gun. But it, this doesn't square with what the network executives think. And so the... Um, ranking of journalists when you look at a list of who do you trust i mean we're we're right down there with used car salesmen way down at the bottom next to the politicians you know it's a shame well diane don't you think a lot of that has is due to the internet and and instant access and everyone wanting to get the scoop rather than wanting to go in depth into the story and bring out the facts like most journalists have learned to do well, I think that journalists get conflated with everybody else on the Internet because now we're on the Internet too. And so you have to be careful what you read to notice what's the source of this. Who's saying this? Is this BuzzFeed? Is this NBC News? Is it the New York Times? Is it Rolling Stone Magazine? Is it Because all of those entities have a different, um, I'm going to just say it, bias. You know, CNN has a different bias than Fox News, and MSNBC, where I used to work, has a tremendously different viewpoint than, say, um, Rush Limbaugh, if you're listening to him. So I, I think the Internet has unlocked this really, really ugly side of humanity, and that doesn't necessarily mean it comes from journalists, but because we report we're worried about getting it first let's get it first instead of getting it right and getting it right that's yeah and so we open ourselves up to all this criticism you see on the internet and everywhere else right maybe people some people want to read something that meshes with their opinion and they're not open to seeing other points of yeah. view or they only mm-hmm. stick with certain certain sources and it's just it's just a big mess so you don't know who to trust and you know the whole real news versus fake news i just i I don't have time to try to sort it out i just try to stick with certain sources as you say and so it's a big morass isn't it (laughs) yeah well see i i try to sample everything 
Mm-hmm. Um, I find MSNBC these days very, very progressively democratic, very liberal. Uh, right. I find Fox News in prime time. During the daytime, they're just giving me the news. You know, Shepard Smith just gives me the news. But if you watch them in prime time, it's all this hard right stuff. So I try to sample everything, and then I sit down and I ask myself, okay, what do you think, Diane? They're giving you all their opinions. They're not giving you just facts. And I try to sort through it myself, and that's that's where my syndicated column comes in every week. I write for Creator Syndicate. It goes out to newspapers all across the country. But it's always uh, – I post it on Monday on my website, dianediamond.com. If you want to sample them, they're short little – you know, quick bathroom reads. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read them. <laughs> yeah, and I just they're, try they're to stick it. within the crime and justice genre, but that's a big umbrella, you know. That's everything from missing persons to cold cases to new laws that are being passed to just um, sometimes I report the facts and sometimes I give you my opinion and invite. I always invite um, readers to write in and tell me what they think, so... Right. Well, is there is there a happy medium between um, trying to you know people have fleeting attention spans and and I'm one <laughs> in the past who have had you know very long blabs until I would say you know we can't do that anymore people are not going to read these long things so I've learned to kind of adjust over time as well because writing is one of my passions too and it's like so. You know, the snapshot, the visual, the, the picture does a lot for certain kinds of social media versus reading, but you get to the substance. So what's the, you know, what's the, what's the happy medium there? If you, you know, people only want to lend 30 seconds, you're not going to be able to tell them the full story. So right. how, do you, how do you navigate that? Well, you know, God bless my mother who has passed away. I always think of her. When I'm thinking about a complicated story, say I'm going to talk about immigration or I'm going to talk about um, uh, marijuana legalization or something, and I think about how I would talk to my mom, who was a smart woman. She was a Mm -hmm. bookkeeper for the family business, and, you know, she wasn't stupid, but she wasn't an East Coast liberal. (laughs) And not that she was that conservative either, but she wasn't – she didn't have a huge vocabulary, and she, but she was a deep thinker. And so I think about, hey, Mom, what, what do you think about this legalization of marijuana? I mean, all the states are doing it, but the feds still say it's illegal. It doesn't this seem cattywampus. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mind using colloquial terms because if you get to erudite, if you use all these big words and long sentences, people tune out. I try right. to write like I talk, and I think that helps me. And I, I love little details. You know, I love the detail that the Austin bomber went into that FedEx office, and on the return address for the two bombs that he mailed, his return address was Kelly Kilmore. What? Oh. Kilmore people? Oh, my God, what a Kilmore. great little detail. I love mm-hmm. little details of stories that say a lot about the person's mindset. And so in my latest column that I wrote about Austin, the Austin bomber, I, I mentioned that. I only get 800 words, you know, so I can't mention every mm-hmm. detail that fascinates me. But that went to the inner core of his thinking. 
And, of course, we all know what happened. He killed more. He killed himself. Right, and killed himself. Well, to me, that just says it, what I try to do in my writing, too. It paints, write something that paints the picture. You know, uh-huh. you're painting a picture, you know, with your words, but visually you can you can see it. So, you know, that's just perfect. You know, you I know? sit down and I, I write a column and then I word count it and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's a thousand words. So then I go back and I trim it down and I realize how many extra words are in there. I mean, this is really inside writer workshop stuff. But, sure. um So, Delilah, that's how I may, I take a long piece and I cut it down. I go back and I think – how many words can I take out but still say the same thing? Yeah. Well, that, well that, I'm glad you said that because now Donna gets it when I edit her column <laughs> and I cut out, cut out, cut out, and then she's uh-oh. like, well, now you're not saying what I wanted to say. Well, but I think it's all there. Yeah. It's all there. <laughs> well, it is. And, you know, when you're doing next month, Diane, just by way of mentioning, I have to go back to the Board of Pardons and Parole and keep the perpetrator in that's another five years. So that's the hard thing because you only get that one-time opportunity now every five years. So that's what I'm dealing with after the show, you know. Oh, my. Yes, yes. And I'm going to be changing some of Connecticut policy to try to make it more friendly to to, to victims. And um, so it's, it's a lot to take on, but sometimes you have to advocate for yourself and then thereby advocate for the other people around you. So that's But you, you got to, you also have to keep in mind, is anybody going to read this? I recently read a petition to a governor asking for clemency and it was 687 pages long. And I thought, oh my dear Lord, nobody's yeah. going to read this whole thing. Right. You, you know, but people have a need to be heard and write, and that that can't be a bad thing in my, my book. <laughs> well, that, that is true. And um, I, I do want to get into what your, um, what your uh, current passion is, but with, prior to that, I wanted to ask, what do you, is there a particular um, myth that you think the public still it has in terms of, um, you know, what's going on with crime today? And then the other follow-up would be, you know, it has your definition of justice changed over time? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've had to, like, you know, maybe adjust that over time because what was justice in the 80s may not be justice in 2018. Well, in my mind, justice never changes. The victim okay. gets justice, period. But has it changed over time since I started doing crime? Oh, yeah. I mean, I started in radio in Albuquerque, New Mexico in the 70s. See, Delilah, mm-hmm. how old I am? <laughs> anyway, uh, and, and you know, it used to be you did something bad, you went to prison. I mean, that was that's just it, you did. Now, I'm sorry to say that their district attorney's offices, prosecutor's offices are so overwhelmed with cases that uh, I don't know this specific figure, but I think it's like 85%, 90% of all cases are plea bargained. You committed murder, but you know right. what? We'll give you involuntary manslaughter and 15 years instead of 25 to life if you'll just plead. Well, but I didn't do it. Well, yeah, what we think you did. So we can go to trial and we'll get you on 25 years to life, but you could plead guilty and just get 15 years and you'll be out in eight. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's all about the first yeah. game. 
Yeah, it's Thanks, all about yeah. the win, and that's very saddening to me. And 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 not only that, but we, I find that you know, court dockets and doctors' offices are very similar. You get fifteen minutes, <laughs> you're in, you're out. That's it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and and you know what? That's why we're seeing all these exonerations today. Because that's what happened back then, and it's still happening. I don't mean to say we don't do it anymore. Prosecutors don't do it anymore. But uh, how many times do you pick up the paper and say, oh, my gosh, this guy who was in prison for 35 years, they finally figured out he didn't do it, and he's out. And then the state has to pay him $5 million for the mistake. Well, that's your money. That's your taxpayer money. So, I, you know, in my columns, I try to write about – thinking about doing things differently let's think outside the box actually that's the title of my third book but think outside Ah. the box on these things you know the war on drugs hey it didn't work stop it you know let's let's stop the flow of drugs coming over the border let's um, get more treatment centers let's 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 do things differently rather than put all these people in prison and now we're running out of prison space well, now, of course, we're letting people out of prison, so that's probably a good thing. But did we bother to rehabilitate them while they were in? What right. kind of people are we letting loose on society? Are they hardened gang members now, or are they trained in any sort of trade? So, anyway, these are the things that go through my mind, ladies. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a stream of consciousness with all of these issues too. So, I you know I can relate to that. There's so many things that are important that we need to um, get out there to the public um, with uh, so can in the in the scope of, of what you're doing I know that one particular area kind of especially floats your boat these days and that is the, <laughs> is the big piece that you did with regard to elder care and guardianship and all of the um, underhanded things and unjust things that were going on. Can you oh. tell us a little bit about that? Well, have you got about 22 hours? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm teasing. It, but you, you you hit the nail on the head. I'm really passionately the last few years looking at court ordered involuntary guardianships. And you think, well, uh, how often does that happen? It happens all the time in states across the country. And here's, if if I can say anything to, to folks out there, you know, all us baby boomers, we got parents that we're worried about that, what am I going to do with mom after dad dies or vice versa? Do not fight with your family members about it. Here's what's happening. In states across the country, Family members are arguing about what's best for mom or dad, and one of the siblings, say it's a sibling war, decides, well, you know what, I'm going to go get a lawyer and I'm going to court, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to just go talk to a lawyer about this. So they find an elder law lawyer who, some of them are perfectly fine and wonderful, upstanding people, but there are many out there, in my opinion, that rub their hands together, and they go, oh, boy, here's another mark. So Sally goes in and says, Mr. Lawyer, Mrs. Lawyer, I have a problem with my sister Jane. I don't think she's taking good care of mom. I want to take good care of mom. What can you do for me? And and that unscrupulous lawyer says, oh, I've got just the thing. We're going to go to court. We're going to ask a judge to give you guardianship, Sally. Sally says, that sounds like a great idea. Wow, okay. 
So the lawyer prepares a petition to give to the family court judge or in Pennsylvania, for example, it's the widows and orphans court judge or, you know, it's a lower level mm-hmm. judge. Mm-hmm. And the petition can say anything that lawyer wants. Sister Jane is a drug addict. Sister Jane is stealing from mom. Sister Jane doesn't take mom to the doctor, what, whatever. The judge never checks to see if that's the truth. They just believe in this officer of the court that they're telling the truth in this petition. So when Sally gets to court, Mama probably isn't even there. It's just Sally and her lawyer and this judge. And there's a recitation about, yeah, well, you know, my sister Jane does this and that. And Again, it might not even be true. Sally doesn't get the guardianship. The judge says, you know what? It's pretty clear to me that your family is, here's a buzzword, dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to appoint an outside guardian. Now, these outside guardians, ladies, make my stomach crawl. Again, many of them are wonderful, dedicated, thoughtful people, but there is an element in this system, this cottage industry that's popped up, that's just horrible. They glom onto the old person and now they are the, the old person is declared incapacitated by the drug, by the judge that's another buzzword so the family's dysfunctional the elder person is incapacitated unable to take care of themselves and with that designation their all their civil rights are stripped this old person who saved and scrimped their money to leave to their kids has no rights to hire a lawyer to take a trip, to decide what uh, doctor they go to see or where they're going to live. They have no civil rights left. This stranger guardian is in charge. So this stranger guardian starts hiring a bunch of people to take care of mom because, you know, Sally and Jane are dysfunctional, so I have to hire other people. These other people make, I don't know, 100 $150 an hour, the guardian can make up to $400 an hour. And guess where the money comes from? Mom's mom's hard-earned money. The money that she earned over her whole life to save for her kids. So there's this cottage industry of people, excuse my language, sucking off mom's date while her kids are looking off on the side going, hey, Wait a minute. Who is this person? I don't like this person. The yeah, guardian has the guardian has so much power under the court system because, after all, they've been appointed by a judge. That if you raise a ruckus, they can ban you from seeing your parents. You, you, I'm sorry. You here's another buzzword. You upset your mother. You are now banned from seeing her. Well, you can go to court hire a lawyer, the judge will say, well, you can have supervised visits. Now, you have to pay for that. You have to pay to go see your mother. Probably 200 bucks an hour for someone to sit there and make sure you're not, quote, upsetting your mother. This is, it's, it's the largest redistribution of wealth America has ever seen. It's $10 billion of elderly people's hard-earned money going to total strangers instead of to their children. And nobody talks about this, 
and it's just a scandal. <laughs> so incredible. I well, don't, you see, don't you see a lot of this is is also happening in the family court when custody battles are are yes. going on, and and they do. Right. It's the same thing. I saw that years mm-hmm. ago. And thankfully, in that, it's coming to the forefront, and we need to bring this along with it because it's the same group of people, guardians, guardian at litems, um, you know, mm-hmm. court-appointed people who are making money and money off of this. And, and, and I don't mean to go, go on and go on and on about it, but, you know, the court appoints like, all right, let's get a um, mental health professional to do an assessment as to whether this person is really incapacitated. Well, this court health uh, worker is part of the cottage industry. They're never going to find that mom is perfectly fine. No, that, they'll write what they want them to. Yeah, that would that would take them away from the trough and all the other people that hire them within mm-hmm. this unscrupulous system so mom's declared incapacitated she has no rights they can just move her out of her house because they need to sell her house to pay their own fees and put her in a home and never tell you where your mom is it happens all the time you think i'm crazy but honest to god ladies Mm -hmm. it's happening everywhere and uh, like i say i could go on and on but i so how do you take this down i i know there's a fine line here I, I'm sorry, Donna. I just want to know where the fine line is here because I have a very good friend who's going through something not quite so involved but could be. Um, mm-hmm. The family isn't arguing. There's no argument within the family. It's it's more of a long-term caretaker who has kind of ingratiated herself within, you know, within the elderly parent mm-hmm. and – not that anything has been pulled yet, but it certainly could. So, of course, she does have an attorney involved in uh, basically buttoning down his accounts so that there's no access left for her. Great. Um, also, with changing locks at the house and making sure that the house is within the trust and all of this. So. I, you know, I just I hear all of this, and I can see very easily this going down that same path, and it's well, kind of scary. It is, Delilah, because yeah. I'll tell you, I I wrote a, a series about this and how it actually happens to people. If you're interested, look at my website on the left-hand side down a little bit. It, it's a, a series I wrote about the state of New Mexico that happened to be one of the worst states because everything was held secret. You couldn't talk about these cases in public or you could be jailed or fined. Um, but but uh, I'll tell you what I learned I've been collecting cases from all across the country. It doesn't matter if you have a trust or a will or a living will or a, it doesn't the legal papers you think protect you don't necessarily because a a an, a guardian can say you know, I have full control over all these assets here. So, you know what? I know it says that the house is supposed to go to Sally, but I got to sell that house. Because mama can't stay here alone anymore. I got to put her in a home. So I'm going to sell the house. Or I'm going to bust those trust funds because I need that money to take care of mom. So, as odd as it sounds, there is like, there are a lot of legal steps you can take to protect yourself, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be protected or your mother's going to be protected. 
Unless the judge changes the guardian? Well, okay, but then what, you're going to go into the judge and say, Judge, you appointed a terrible person. i got to have this person changed. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, the judge isn't going to want judge to hear that. But they, right. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> might, they might change your guardian. They're going to give you a worse guardian. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that happened to a case I know up in Pennsylvania, a wonderful woman named Betty Wynn Stanley, who happens to be a descendant of President John Adams. Oh, and wow. her family fought and said, you know, that guardian is terrible. He does, he's not doing anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the judge changed and got a new guardian. And that new guardian charged $400 an hour. The other one was charging 250 And in the first three months that she worked for Betty Wynn Stanley, she charged her $55,000. Now, you can go to my website and just type in the word Betty Wynn Stanley. You can read mm-hmm. the three columns I wrote about that. So you challenge a judge <laughs> at your peril. Yeah. Ugh. So it's a no-win, no-win situation in in yeah. some respects. But what what I know you you've made some inroads with this, and if if this is your your next book, what's what's your future plan with with all this information that you're compiling? Oh, oh thank you for asking. <laughs> and if there are any publishers out there, um, yeah. I I do want to write a book about these human stories and how this happens and how long it's been happening. Um, Uh, My book proposal, uh, I'll be glad to send it to any publisher who might be listening, is called The Final Racket. And it is the final racket that all of us could fall prey to. And and so that's what I want to do. I want to write this book, and I I'm going to write this book. You know how I'm a determined person. But um, I got to tell you, it's not just family members squabbling. I got a case in Tennessee, for example, the elderly couple. Every year, they kind of close up their house and they go to their cabin, and they spend the summer three, four months in their cabin. So their next door neighbor called the police and said, "You know, I'm I haven't seen the Smiths for a few days. Would you do a welfare check?" So when the police do a welfare check, they take uh, somebody from Adult Protective Services with them. Mm-hmm. So they went into the Smith's house, and they saw that their refrigerator was bare, their electricity was off, and they didn't seem to be answering their questions fast enough. And they said, you know what, just come with us. And they took them and put them into the guardianship system. Adult Protective Services took the lead, and they never got to go home again. Wow. And they kept saying, we're going to our cabin. That, we don't have any lights because we turned them off. Well, why did you turn them off? We're going to our cabin. Uh-huh, sure you are. And that couple got their house sold out from under them, got put into a home, and never got to go home. So it could be your next-door neighbor, you know, a benevolent call that turns into a tragedy. Into a nightmare, wow. And, 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 and I found... I, competency? I mean, what's that? Anybody... Did anybody check for competency of these people, or they just said, we're taking you out of here because the electricity is off? Well, no, no. You know, the judge hears a petition from Adult Protective Services that says, you know, they weren't really very coherent when we talked to them. Oh, well, they must be incapacitated. Oh, well, okay, yeah. It's just this fast-track, never-ending slide into oblivion once you get into this system. There have been a few cases that, just a few, 
people have gotten out of, but out of mm-hmm. guardianship, but it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. And, and I'll tell you, I found that there are trolls that troll emergency rooms at hospitals, and they wait for old people to be brought in, and they say, oh, honey, are, are you all by yourself? Where's your family? Oh, you don't mm-hmm. have any family. Oh, you know what? Just sign this paper. I can, I can help I'll you. I'll help you. Oh, Bing, God. they're in guardianship. Or they, they go to old age homes, and they give these speeches, these people, and, and, and then they sell names to lawyers about who's vulnerable. I'm here today, they say to the, the elderly group, I'm here today at this luncheon to talk to you about your future. You know, you should just let your children be your children. They shouldn't have to worry about your finances. We can do that for you. We'll take care of it. Uh- Bing, they're in guardianship. You know, it's just in, it's grown to be an insidious, horrible, silent scandal, and I think it's time it stopped. Now, in New Mexico, following my five-part series that I did, um, the feds moved in, <laughs> and they indicted mm-hmm. two uh, people from two companies. One guy's already in prison. Four others are awaiting trial. The legislature right. just last month passed a big reform, guardianship reform law. And the Supreme Court has a special commission to watch it. And so some real change has happened in New Mexico and, and a few other states, but they've got a long way to go. Long so does it go. have to be state by state, Diane, that this is? And it's not, or can you do something on the federal level once you get success in certain states? Or such, a, such a smart question. <laughs> I think because every state has their old boy crony system going, Sorry, but that's really what it is. Um, I, I think it does have to be federal. And late last year, the, uh, a bill, it was called SB 178, was mm-hmm. passed, and Trump signed it into law. And it mandates for every DOJ region, there are 90-something of them around the country, to have one or more special prosecutors just to prosecute, listen to families who really have nowhere else to go to complain about this, to listen to family stories and prosecute people who, who, frankly, just steal money from old people. Mm-hmm. So and has it taken effect yet? No, it, it has. The, the, uh, the, the special prosecutors are now being appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, a colleague that I work with has talked to 10 of them across the country. There's 90, I think 96 of them. So they're all moving in, and they're all listening, but they're all scratching their head and saying, this doesn't happen in America. What are you talking about? And then they start to realize, oh, my God, it is happening. It's been happening. You know, in my research, I discovered that old Senator Claude Pepper of Florida held hearings on this very topic in the 1980s. And he was outraged that old people were being managed by total strangers and bilked of their money. We're going to do something about it. Nothing's ever been done. In fact, it's gotten worse. And it got buried at that time. And you, and you, you took it out of the ashes. Well, well I hope. <laughs> well, I Diane, hope so. coming, coming down to a family level, what, what can we do as families as a prevention act? How can we, what, what should we look for? What should we be aware of? And what should we really be doing with our elderly parents? Boy, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. And that's the question. 
I think, well, we still have our faculties. In fact, I need to do this, except I just have one child, so I'm, I think I'm cool. Um, you need to get your old person, before they lose their capacity, frankly, get them on video. Get them on videotape. Here is what I want. I don't want my son Robert to get anything because he's been a drug addict all his life. I want my, my daughter Sarah to inherit half of it, and I want my daughter Jane to inherit the other half. And I want mm-hmm. all my wife's jewelry. Well, what do you want, honey? Well, dear, I want all my jewelry to go to my sister Betty. And put it on videotape because that lives forever and that that clearly expresses the desire of the old person, the elder person. I'm trying to do that with victim impact statements, um, Diane, excuse me, with regard to if they're if they're not there for the next round when you go to the board of pardons and parole mm-hmm. their their wishes are on board but when you get someone like my mom who's 85 and is from that era where they are very private it's very hard for them to, yes. oh I don't want to be on that videotape so it's very important to convince them for these for these issues correct yes, how do we convince it them is. and and especially you know if if you wait so this is really a message to the elder person of the family Put yourself on videotape. Get your son or daughter or your next-door neighbor to fire up their video camera on their telephone and just start talking. You know, make your desires known. Um, As for the family members, don't fight. Don't fight. Mm -hmm. And if you can't resolve it among yourself because your brother is an alcoholic or your sister's a drug addict, get yourself to mediation. This is what some states are doing. Instead of letting the pendulum swing to all the way to massive guardianship, they're saying, wait a minute, before you go to court, you, you as family members, you have to go to mediation. You have to go to six sessions of mediation until you figure it out yourself. And that, that's a great um, asset, that's a tool. I think. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to find a good lawyer to... A, get that video in some sort of form that it is preserved forever, and put down specifically into any legal document you have, even as tenuous as legal documents are here, put in there the desire never to be put into an involuntary guardianship with a stranger deciding your fate. If you put that specifically in there, I'll tell you, there's not a lot of judges that would go against that. Now, I don't mean to be rude, but I'll tell you, the judges in these cases, they're the lawyers who couldn't make it as a lawyer. They they go, they become a judge because that's a steady income, and they're the lowest end. They're not up at the Supreme Court or the district mm-hmm. court or the regional court. They're way down in the family court, and they, mm-hmm. they, they, they don't answer to anybody. They can do whatever they want. Wow. Well, I think that's I think that's very good practical advice and I'm I'm thinking that all of us are listening with elder family members and, and this is truly the direction we need to go. And I'm hoping that with you 
finding a publisher or not, you're going to be <laughs> keeping on top of this. Oh, and I that am. You will, you will keep us abreast of what's going on, either with us reading your columns or perhaps coming back and giving us an update on this because it is so important. It's part of our future, and we can't let our elder elders be disrespected and abused like this. And it's going to be us someday, you know, the yes, aging of America. Absolutely. It, this problem is only going to get worse. So yeah, in, indeed. So well, and I, really I think culture, culturally, <laughs> we're very different in the way that we treat our elders as opposed to some other countries in the world. Japan, who for hold example. Their el- yeah. Yes, exactly. Who they're mm-hmm. held in the highest esteem, and you do whatever it takes to take care of them. Um, we don't do that here. No, we stick them in homes here. and. Yeah, I think about this a lot, and I, you know, I'm extra nice to my daughter now that I realize <laughs> that she could just throw her hands up and say, you know what, get her a guardian. No, I don't think she'd ever do that. No. But can you imagine an old person? There, there was one case. A woman had eleven million dollars, and of course, anybody with money, half a million, three hundred thousand. This is big money when you add it up, add it up. She, she got a guardian. And then her daughter was not allowed to see her, her only child, for the last 18 months of her life. And when she died, the 11 million kind of couldn't be found. They did kind of find it. Oh, yeah, here it is over in the uh, company's bank account. You better get that money transferred back over. And there was a big lawsuit, and the daughter finally won the money back. But um, there's all sorts of unscrupulous stuff going on. Because mm-hmm. this greatest generation, as Tom Brokaw called them, they save their money. They scrimp, yeah. they save, they save their money for you, their kids. And it's so ironic to me, these these guardians go into court. I've been in court hearings and seen this happen. Your Honor, these kids are just money hungry. They're just after the money. And it's, excuse me, you're the guardian who's making $400 an hour? Who's after what money? Did the parents save the money to give to you or to their children? It's just, um, anyway, as I say, I could talk for 22 hours about this, but <laughs> you guys well, get my drift. <laughs> no, it is, and it is fascinating, and we do need to know this, So, I, and, and we want to um, be kept abreast of it. But sure. so we, just to give you a little time check, we have about 14 minutes left of our hour. It goes by so quickly. Um, well, just doubling back a little bit then, uh, with regard to addressing um, what, I, and I know when we shared some communication on the PM, I know we don't necessarily agree about this, but that's good. Um, one, I wanted to have you address what do you feel is the responsibility of a journalist with regard to if we're talking about heinous crimes and mass murderers? I know. Um, it's your responsibility to study all aspects of this. And I feel as a homicide survivor that there is so much out there that just sensationalizes the perpetrator and not that much about, about the victims. And I know there are many good pieces on the New York Times and whatnot, but there might not be a lot of people that have access to the New York Times or the Washington Post to do these pieces. And they feel as if, Diane, there, uh, the media is always focusing on the perpetrator, and they you're lucky if they even mention the name of the victims. 
So what do we do about that? And what's your well, I, I'm I'm going to disagree with you a little bit in okay. that I've covered so many cases, and there is no family member who is happy with you as a journalist if you mention the perpetrator's name or anything about him. And I'll go back to a, an infamous case, the Pauli class kidnapping and murder case. Mm-hmm. I am the only person on the face of the earth who has ever interviewed that killer. Um, J. Oh gosh, what was his name? Alan. Oh gosh, can't think of his I name forgot. right now. Isn't that crazy? It was uh-huh. so, so spooky. Um, but he was caught, and I went upstate in California and interviewed him as he was being transferred from state to, uh, I'm sorry, from county to state custody. Um, Rodney Allen, no, gosh. Ah, I, I'll think of his name in a second. Anyway, we'll Google it. <laughs> the, yeah, could you Google that while we're talking? Anyway, sure. Polly Class's <laughs> father was livid with me for years that I had dared uh, air this interview with this guy. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I sat with him one time and I said to him, listen, you don't want any more Polly's to happen, right? Right. I said, if we don't study what causes someone to get to the point in their life where they kidnap a child and rape her and kill her? What, are we just going to let them do it? Or are we going to start thinking about what kind of, how, how did this person get to this murderous stage in their life? And, I mean, that's the way I approach it. You know, Ted Bundy killed more than 35 people. And we I don't know all the victims' names, I'll be honest with you, but he was an infamous serial killer. And by Lord, I think we need to know more about what creates a, a person like that. And and what creates um, – I, I wrote a column recently on all sorts of different serial killers. And you know what? It mostly goes back to their childhood. And I know that sounds like a cop-out. Oh, I don't care about their childhood. Well, you know what? If a kid is raped or locked in a closet or denied love their whole childhood, they're going to grow up to be psychopaths. They're going to, they, they could become serial killers. So I think we need to understand what makes a criminal. And maybe that's why you hear more about, like, the Austin bomber. Well, he was homeschooled. He didn't ever have any relationships with other kids his age. He he uh, was employed, but they fired him because he couldn't get along with people, and he was no good at his job, and he just a college dropout. And all these, to me, are very important clues. Now, I can't they tell are, you all his victims' names either. Victims? How do we make up for for their grief and their loss? They're thinking, oh, well, they're just... Still, I'm being that devil's advocate here. No, I understand. I, I agree with what you're saying, but how does that help the the victim? Well, you mean the victim's family, right? The victim's family, yes, I'm what, sorry. What is ever going <laughs> to make them feel better? Certainly nothing I can write. I can't, I can't make that. Acknowledging the victim's and who they were as persons and right. and the positive contributions they made, that's that's part of it, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if yeah. you watch the evening news, I'm not talking, you know, the repetitive, pundit-laden CNN, Fox, you know, they just babble on and on. They don't do much in depth. But if right. you look at the evening news, NBC, CBS, ABC, um, th- they'll put the picture of all the victims up and the names 
after the uh, Las Vegas shooting. They had 58 mm-hmm. faces and names up there, and every night for a week they told you about five of them and who they were and what they want. She wanted to be a ballerina. He wanted to and be an engineer. Good. And that's good. But, but you're going to hear more about the shooter. You're going to hear more about the shooter. You just mm-hmm. are. I know. I, it, it just is very hard from our perspective as survivors of these crimes that you know we just feel like we're we're lost in the shuffle and sure. and it's a matter of disrespect i mean in in some way and i'm just i'm just speaking from that perspective i understand yeah. what you're saying i know so, you feel I like we're exploiting your loved one by only talking about the person who took their life away i get that yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying if there's some way that we can achieve more of an equal balance, but it's so it's not as interesting as saying, you know, the you know, the the guy that pumped five bullets into my father and left him there to die and and, and all of that, you know, let's focus on all the crimes he did versus who my dad was as as a person and the good things he did. You know, it's not as interesting. I don't I don't know how to make that equation more equal, do you? No, and and I'll tell you, you're not going to find it on television. Because, say, on the evening news, when you take away all the commercials, it's 22 minutes of news. And that's news from around the world. So they don't have time to devote five minutes to talk about what a wonderful guy your dad was. They're only giving you a snapshot of what's happened around the world. There was a terrorist act in in France, and there was this happened and that happened, and students were marching for gun control. Boom, the newscast is over. Where you're going to find that kind of reporting, Donna, is in print, in the newspaper, in a magazine. Uh, People magazine, even, they they do little snippets of stuff, but at least they, they mention it, you know? Right. So, well, I'm going to gravitate to those more because I just, you know, it, it, it gets very, for me, after 37 years, I'm sort of used to that. But for these, these new crime victims that it just happened within a year or two, it is so hard for them. That sure. It really is. You know, and I know you understand that. And, oh, by the way, I just did look it up in the person whose name you're trying to find, Richard Allen Davis. Richard Allen. So I knew there was an Allen in there. <laughs> Richard Allen Davis. Yeah, that was yeah, the scariest yeah. interview I ever did in my life. So, um, that was something. Did, did the two of you ever make amends on this or, or whatever? Yes. Yeah, Mr. Class now, uh, he and I Mark are Facebook Class. friends. Yeah, Mark Class and I um, have appeared on television shows together. And, oh, good. Uh, yeah, I, I think he gets it. it he, he was so angry and so raw with emotion as, as to what happened to his daughter that it was just easiest to lash out at everybody who even dared to mention Richard Allen Davis's name. You know, mentioning his name doesn't do anything. It doesn't lionize him. It doesn't praise him. Um, But anyway, yes, no, uh, uh, Mr. Class and I are are cool now. Well, I'm glad to hear, you know, any of us can come come back together after something like that because we each learn, you know, on our side of the equation what we need to learn over time. And, um, but um, a couple other things um, come to mind here. Um, do you, do you think that with technology to solve crimes, um, but by you know, is can we get to a more hopeful time, a more kinder, gentler nation? Are we? Are can we still look at what's happening with our society as the glass is half full, as we have more advancements, 
or or do you think i mean i don't think that you you have this pessimistic viewpoint about society because uh, and we're all going to see more mass murderers how, how can you address that for us what, sure. what is your overall take on that uh, i think we're already seeing a society with less crime and back to one reason it, we're, we live in an aging America, and crime is mostly committed by young people, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 35 and under. Uh, our, our prisons are kind of easing up. The crime rate has gone down, except in specific cities. Baltimore's bad. Um, Chicago's bad. Oh, yeah. Milwaukee's bad, you know, like that. But um, So I think it's already there. I think the reduction in crime, we can see it. What I'm most worried about is the public discourse. We are so nasty to each other. I mean, just look at the Internet. I, I, just, I, I broke the Michael Jackson might be a pedophile story in 1994. I wrote a book that was released after I had covered the story for more than a decade in 2005. I still get death threats. I mean, come on. Wow. What are you doing? Come on. I'm a reporter. How dare I mm-hmm. write about him? Well, that's what I do for a living. You know, so there, I think, I think that change doesn't have to come from the government or any association. It has to come from us. We have to start teaching our kids that you don't talk to each other like that. You don't treat people like that. You know, I, I, where is that going to come from? I don't know. I think... It's all skewed now. Now all we do, if someone says something we don't like, they're a bully. And now we need a safe space to go to. Now that's mm-hmm. The pendulum has swung too far the other way. We've lost our focus on just finding civility again. You know, just, yeah. damn it, be mm-hmm. nice to each other. I, I think we need to have those courses in school again, or I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I totally, I totally agree with you, but we can't, we can't give up trying to make things better, and that's what we're about changing, changing that's things right. in our own way. And I, I think in order for us to survive, you know, here I am, a person with o- over fifty surgeries, and then a, a homicide out of graduate school is like, oh, you, your, your plate is already full, Donna. Resiliency. How can we build resiliency? For for people so that they can they they can recognize their problems and they and we can give them tools to solve problems in a civil way. Diane, is that part of it? Well, every it, it seems to me in this younger generation, younger than me, which is like almost everybody, um, <laughs> there, there is this propensity to if you say something I don't agree with, you're evil. Mm. You are a bad person. You must be a liberal. You must be a conservative. You, we label each other in ways that I've never seen in America before. We're, we're supposed to be the country where you get your own opinion. Yeah, I might yeah. not agree with you, but I will give up my life to, for your right to have that opinion. We don't think like that anymore. We are an insular, me first Everybody has to cater to me society, and I really worry. I have three grandchildren. I worry about their viewpoint on things. You know, if someone, if you say you like black and I say, no, I like green, I'm not mm-hmm. being a bully. Stop it. I'm not being a bully. I just have a different opinion, and it's okay. It's okay to have someone on a um, university campus come and speak about 
something you disagree with. Why don't you go listen? Maybe you might change your mind or, oh, God forbid, learn something. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like in terms of colors, then, we're going back to the 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 black and white versus no no gray in between. We can't you know we we can't alter. It's either my way or the highway. And I want the rainbow wrong. back. You know, you want I want the, the rainbow <laughs> of colors back. Absolutely. I, I, I don't I, think I don't so care true. if you're gay, lesbian, transgendered, black, white, Chinese. I don't care. You're a person. You have the right to have your own opinion. I'm going to yep. disagree with you. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. So you're, to your question, Donna, how do we get society back to that? I have not got one clue. I don't know, <laughs> except parents need to teach their children the right way. Yeah, and we have to keep trying just one day at a time and, and try mm-hmm. to try to do to our good works. And, you know, so with that, is there, because we're, uh, we're coming to the close of our, of our hour, and I do want to formally invite you back if you would like to come back and do oh, any follow-up shows or more. You're more than welcome. You have an open invitation. But is there um, a final parting message that you would like to leave with us um, that, you know, it, it, it's close to your heart because I think that that is an important thing as well. What message would you like to leave us with today's discussion today? I know it just sounds so corny, but I just want people to be kind to each other. Mm-hmm. And if you are kind to each other, then we are all safe. You, you, see okay. what I, you know, I say yeah. to people, goodbye, stay safe. That's my, my parting uh, thought to everybody. Goodbye, stay safe. But to do that, you have to be kind to everybody so they are kind back to you. You know, when uh, people, I have a lot of people write me on my website to respond to specific columns and whatnot. And when they get ugly, I delete them. I don't Mm -hmm. want, uh, it's up to each and every one of us to say, that kind of behavior is not acceptable. You cannot get on my website or my Facebook page and call somebody in that name. Yeah. Yeah. You you can't do it. You want to do it? That's fine. Go do it. But don't do it on my page. And to make it, to bring back shame, you know, nobody's sh- uh, ashamed of some of these <laughs> terrible things they say. Set our own boundaries it, and no, be kind. There's no filter, right? People yeah. don't have a filter anymore, maybe. That's what it is. Delilah, so we've got to force it. got to force yeah, that filter. <laughs> we do. We do. So, D- Delilah, do you have any parting thoughts before we have to sign off? Well, I totally agree with everything Diane said, so I'm not going to repeat that. But I, I believe, you know, kindness in our world is is becoming very needed. A, yeah, very much so. Very much needed. And if if we can find that again um, on a sincere basis, then I, I feel we're going to make some progress. Yeah, and we and have hope. Just, Amen. Yes, absolutely. I, 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 Thank you so much for being with us today, Diane. Yeah. Uh, the information. Oh, uh, my so pleasure. And Delilah, I'm going to come down and see you sometime there in Myrtle Beach. I love that well, part I of the world. Well, I hope you do. <laughs> I hope Great. you do. Call me and let me know when you're coming. Great. My husband, you know, the golfer, I've, I've likes it, too. I have a property there, too, so yeah. someday we'll meet, Diane. <laughs> wonderful. Well, thanks okay. for having me on today. And any time, you ladies have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Same you to too. you. Thank you, Thank you, thank you, Diane. Thank you, Delilah. And with that, we will close out this edition of Shattered Rice Radio. Stay tuned for another show next week. Bye bye.
Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you got the most. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.